a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Josh, my friend, how are you this week? I'm doing great. I'm a little hot right now, so I'm drinking a nice cool drink, but I'm doing pretty good. It is that summer. I think here in Montana, we're on a streak of like 23 days of 90 degree highs or higher. I'm so glad that Seattle does not get that. Yeah, I'm a little bit jealous, but that, that it's okay. Right. Um, everything is going great with Emily. I just checked in with her over a text just this afternoon. Uh, yeah, the Reading houses are just a beautiful family now. Alex, Emily, and Thea, they're just loving it. Getting sleep, changing diapers, all the good stuff. So thought you would want that update too. Thank you. Um, we are joined today by another into guest host. Today we have the pleasure of welcoming Mr. Marv Falkenberg to the show. Marv, thanks for joining us on Ravel. Hey, greetings, guys. Um, I go by Pops, you know. Pops. Uh, thanks for having me. I can make that work. We can make yeah, that Pops. work. Pops, would you tell us just a little bit about yourself here at the beginning and tell us about your show on the Highline Network and what that project represents to you? Absolutely. So uh, I'm a 57-year-old white male, married 39 <laughs> years. That, that's unusual. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that. Well done. Three grown kids, all millennials, which I love. And I'm a wannabe millennial myself. Um, <laughs> see how many? Uh, six grandkids and one on, the, one on the way and five grandpuppies. Hold on. I might have that backwards. Uh, no, that's right. Six grandkids, five grandpuppies. Yeah. You wouldn't hear the end of it if you got those numbers flipped. So. <laughs> yeah. So loving life. Um into podcast was really the brainchild of uh, my son Alex and uh, his wife Katie, uh, Kevin, and um, my wife is all so involved with me. We're kind of the, um, you know, the boomers, <laughs> and <laughs> and we're we're proud of it because my goal in life is not to be like, hey, boomer, you know, come on. <laughs> I'm, uh, Excellent. I'm really trying to represent for you know, what boomers could be if they really had a conversation with the millennials or the other age groups. Oh, wow. That was productive. That's cool. So that's, that's our main driving goal. Wow. I like that. That's, I really like that description of Into. Into is a pleasure to listen to, and I, I really like how you summed it up. I'm glad you like it. I love yours as well. Uh, I love Ravel and uh, No Normal People. 
Oh, I haven't heard you. any others. I'm not sure who else is on the network, but I'm just getting familiar. We have the Whiskey Bench over on the other corner of the Highland That's network. right. Yeah. And Alex was just on Whiskey Bench, wasn't he? I need to listen to that. He's been on a couple times. Yeah, he was hanging out. He talked about raw milk. And I do he, recommend the raw milk episode. Yeah. I really raw liked that one. Milk. And then we talked about okay. video games and the subjectivity of art as well. That was a mm. that was a blast. Sounds good. Well, speaking of raw milk. Oh, yes. Well, uh, d- you shouldn't say you're drinking raw milk if you are on the air because it is illegal well, in most places. In that case, I'm not drinking raw milk today. <laughs> I'm drinking a quote unquote guava Sao Paulo LaCroix, end quote. Wow. Ooh. That's a mouthful. And wow. it is, let's just say it's as refreshing as raw milk could be if we could drink it. <laughs> that sounds delicious. <laughs> I love that. What are you guys drinking? I'm drinking a Montucky cold snack. This is just like a light lager brewed here in Montana. It's like, I, it's honestly, it's probably two or three steps above something like PBR, which is in fact the best cheap beer out there. So (laughs) I'm just, yeah, drinking a nice cold can of beer today. Pops, what about yourself? Well, here, so here's the honest answer. You'll, you'll find me to be, uh, ruthlessly honest. So. I'm drinking lime seltzer water. How boring is that? Now, just before this, because uh, we were going to record earlier, and, and I had a um, lime and vodka seltzer water, so the twist of uh, twist of lime in it. But you know Delicious. what I wish I was drinking is my favorite local drink by our local brewery is Poblano Stout. Oh, It is this dark stout Whoa. beer that they put actual poblano peppers in. And it's just unbelievable. I love that thing. I don't have any at home. I usually go down to the brewery. They have pizza and beer at the at the local. It used to be a Buddhist church, and now it Whoa. is a fine downtown brewery. I'm yeah. going to have to grab some of that when I am in town in October, because that sounds yeah. phenomenal. Come visit. You can stay at my house. Did, oh. we, did we give you the invite? You can stay at my house. We would we would be delighted. We would love yeah. that. Thank you. I've heard about the hot tub, the famous hot tub in the backyard the as well. The hot tub so. is open. My wife and Alex and other kids bought that for me. Yeah, I, I love that. I use it every day. This is fantastic. I love every all of day. this. Well, yeah, and I have two spare bedrooms up there, so. Oh, look at that. Room to spare. To love it. Marv. Pops, excuse me, I got to I got to yeah. work on that. Um yeah. what would you like to bring to Ravel this week as the topic that we kind of kick off the conversation with and just like pull on the thread, see where it leads us. Oh. And I I love that whole uh vision of the Ravel and the pulling on the thread. Mm. You know what? I am into philosophy of science and religion. Uh if you have to put a topic by it, um uh, and okay. I, I don't know why, but I just seem to be naturally wired to try and figure out everything in the universe, <laughs> including <laughs> the universe. I love the universe, and then I love science and religion. And it's funny because, you know, like I was telling someone where I was going tonight, what, what am I doing? And I said, well, I'm doing a podcast on science and religion. And they're just like, oh, that sounds interesting. <laughs> Good luck with that. And most people, I get the strangest reactions. People are like, uh, yeah. Good luck with that. And they just kind of walk That's away amazing. and roll their eyes. Yeah. Mm. But I'm really into it and I can't seem to shut it off. So I just kind of go with it. Wow. I love this. Where did this, uh, where did this passion start for you? 
Yeah, you know, I think it's innate um, in my temperament. Uh, I'm INTP, which is kind of the architect of ideas by nature. Mm. So I think I'm kind of hardwired for it. But I, I recall one of my first memories was with my mom. I came home from school and I don't know, whatever grade you learned this level of science and, you know, elementary school. And I remember standing in the kitchen talking to my mom and I'm like, hey, mom, I learned today that the sun is a star. And she's like, nope, 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 that's not right. The <laughs> sun, <laughs> the sun is the sun because God said in the Bible that it's the sun. Oh, wow. I said, yeah, yeah, I know. I know God said it's the sun. It's our sun. We call it the sun, but it's a star. Nope. It's not a star. It's the sun. And so that was the beginning, though. I'm going to give my first memory of like, hmm, there might be a thread pull on here. Huh. Yeah. So that, that was the earliest memory. And, uh, and now I have grandkids. I have one granddaughter that says she wants to be a scientist. And so she's, I think, eight or nine. I think she just turned nine. Mm-hmm. And so she borrows my two huge universe books and takes them home. She's super, super smart anyways. And she comes back and she's like, ask me any question and all this. So we're going through it, galaxies and, you know, nebula and all that. And, and then we get to this one on Galileo and it shows his his uh, telescope lens. And she's like, what's this all about? And I'm like, well, he got in a little trouble with the church <laughs> when he looked through the telescope and said, uh, wait a minute, we might want to think about this again said and she's <laughs> so this will be the challenge is as they get older you know because she's like well what happened i said well they told him he was wrong and they put him in jail the rest of his life and then after he died they apologized to him 400 years later <laughs> oh, wow she just looked at me with the the strangest look on her face like <laughs> what in the world and i'm like yeah Welcome to my world, you know. Yeah, that's, this, this is what it was like, right? Yeah. I say was like, do you get the sense that some people would, I don't know, prefer it to be that way? Because I think of growing up, I think of like life group classes that would be taught at my church that like it, the, the class was very much set up to be like answers in Genesis, right? Like yes. that we are... Uh, Christianity versus science as if like yes. science was an entity to like debate or contend with, you know? Oh, it's very prevalent. It's everywhere. And that, and that's what Alex and I uh, have talked about a lot. We've struggled through. Um, I mm. have been on a personal journey for, I would say the last 15 years mm. because mm. I, I accepted all that traditional church theology and young earth creationist scientist view up up until at that point. And so, I mean, that's what I, I would love to talk about tonight with wow. you guys. Is, I mean, that would have only been for you, what, your early 40s, right? Yeah, early wow. 40s. Oh my gosh. Oh, not only that, yeah. Wow. Uh, I, that's, that's the first time I had a, a drink of alcohol, my early mm. 40s. That's the first time I started playing drums. Uh, like, uh, wow. Stephen's dad, we were we were good friends, you know, when he went to church here we're in the town I live, and I was like, Whoa. Oh man, this guy's a drummer, man. I would love to be a drummer. <laughs> you know, didn't never played, never had a set, started playing drums, you know, had my first beer at forty, started studying you rebel systematic you. theology. Yeah. <laughs> it's all downhill from there, man. I mean, come on. That's super interesting. I mean, I feel like I started really encountering questions around science and religion probably early college. 
Yes. And it just, it's so fascinating to me that like in some ways that timeline is really similar, but for me happened way sooner. Yeah. And I think that's normal. I think your time frame is much more normal than mine. Um, and that's probably why I identify with millennials as I went through mm. it so much later in life, but it was wow. the exact same. And, and you guys call it deconstruction. I guess I'm, I've used that term a lot. I'm, I'm kind of trying to stay away from labels and terms just because they're so loaded. Mm-hmm. I have sitting in front of me and I'll, and I'll, I'll text you a couple of photos. I have uh, something in my hand. It's a little thing my daughter called, got for me. It's called uh, Truth printed on a little stone that I can keep in my pocket. And I've got a stack of, you know, about 15 of my favorite books. And that's my driving passion and has been from day one, you know, from my journey, what I call kind of a truth quest journey for truth, because I, mm. I've never been anti-God. I've never deconstructed and said, you know, there is no God. I've just always said, God is truth, capital T truth. Anything I find that aligns with truth is from God. And so I just kept going for truth at every level with full confidence that in the end, that leads me to God. So it, mine was never like an angsty, angry, kind of atheisty, you know, somebody did me wrong in life and my mm. parents jacked me up and, I, and I'm angry at God. And so therefore, I don't believe in God. I'm going to go hang out with Dawkins and, and just be this kind of angry atheist. <laughs> um, that, that has never resonated with me. And I've always mm. just pursued truth. And so I think deconstruction has started to get a bad name. I don't think of it in a bad way, but I'm more about pursuing truth and reconstructing a yeah. sustainable theology, you know, that's that's for the modern age of science and and works with, you know, what's what's real that we observe in the world. Well, what I like what you brought up there is that I think both science and religion are searching for truth and in different ways, which I mean a lot of people would argue that, but I also think you're absolutely right that they're not necessarily in conflict. Like, have you ever heard of, you might have run across this concept, Stephen Jay Gould writes about the non-overlapping magisteria, Yes, or it's also uh, shortened to Noma. Have you ever heard of that? Y yes, I have. Yeah. I'm not completely sure if I agree with it. Not going to lie. Yeah, me. Me either. Um, no, me either. I've heard of it, uh, and, and I, I, see, I know why he came up with it, but I, I don't buy it. For a little bit, <laughs> I contemplated it. And I'm like, mm, Could either no. one of you give me like the, the layman's version of, of this concept? Because sure. I personally haven't heard of it. Yeah, so imagine, you know like what a Venn diagram is, right? Like two overlapping circles? Yeah, yep. Imagine science and religion as separate circles. They're trying to search for the same, they're trying to search for the truth, of humanity and the universe, but they are looking for not only different truths, but they are looking for them in completely different ways and do not overlap at all. And that is, wow. I think, wow, a really summed down version of non-overlapping magisteria. Yeah, that's a good description. And, Thank and you. It, it, on the highest philosophical conceptual level, it does make sense. It, mm -hmm. It's problematic when you take any type of literal interpretation of the Bible, and that's where the conflict begins, of like the 24-hour day in Genesis, mm. the literal Noah flood, uh, the literal genealogies, mm. 
and that's where the conflict comes and and mm-hmm. that's where i'm at the solution then is how you kind of unravel all that tied up together science and uh theology and you start taking them apart and saying wait a minute okay we need to look at god gave i uh, i the things i've read <laughs> they talk about him giving two books of truth one is science which is nature he laid it out and said mm-hmm. i displayed the heavens so that you know everyone can see and then he inspired through men things to write down that we call scripture the bible and the problem is some people elevate one of those above the other when i think they should be in concert i think they should be in unity and mm. you have you have to figure out which one you're going to mm. interpret and the problem is mm. i've come to the conclusion that the bible must be interpreted properly whereas science it, hard science and facts you don't really have the luxury of just saying well i'm going to interpret it this way mm. wow yeah it's well, like you know i see i mean I, no i see what you're saying but i also think that there's a there's a little bit of a lack of intellectual humility sometimes among super uh what's the right word for this not just super sciencey people but even like in among scientists i think there's sometimes a lack of intellectual humility because i think sometimes we treat data and facts as like completely black and white when right. in reality like anyone who does a study, whether it's like a historical study or a geological study or a present day experimental study, like any findings have to be expertly interpreted. Right. And I think sometimes we mm. forget about like the interpretation that happens along the way to scientific conclusion. And that, that was a really big one for me when I was first learning about like the scientific findings and how those stacked up against literal interpretations of the Bible. Right. Even before I learned that there were different interpretations of the Bible. <laughs> like, like I, uh, it's kind of, I think for me, the biggest turning point in the science and religion relationship was I was really into this apologetics podcast by this guy named William Lane Craig. He's a really big oh, apologetics yeah. name, mm-hmm. right? Oh, I know all about him. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, did you ever listen to his series on creation and evolution? I'm not sure. I haven't listened to him in a couple of years, but I've I've seen quite a bit of his his stuff. Sure. So he did this like really big uh he called it Defenders cuz that's like classic apologetics, right? Wow. He did yeah. this big series on creation and evolution. And it, to be honest, it was not what I expected. I thought he was going to like dispute them against each other, right? Cuz that's kind of the classic right pairing. What he ended up going through instead was showing how there are at least minimum six valid theological interpretations of what the book of Genesis is trying to point out and what that means for a scientific view. Right. Whoa. And of course, he's coming at it from a very, quote unquote, biblical, scriptural standpoint. Like he is a, absolutely a scholar. Like he knows other languages. He does this for a living. He's very scholarly. Um, that whole series really opened up my eyes to what the relationship between science and religion is and can be and what that means for us as modern day people who are trying to figure out their faith seriously. Yeah. No, I I know the one you're talking about now. I think I did see it yeah. a few years ago and and uh, I did the only other thing I've done publicly is at church youth group um was one of the only times I ever 
was allowed to kind of express my views at church, and I framed it exactly like that, William Lane mm-hmm. Craig. And I had, at, I forget if it was five or six different interpretations or versions. And my point was, look, we're all on a journey. We're all trying to figure this out. And there's many different interpretations. Let me show you five or six of them. And then someone tried to pin me down at the end, one of the adult, you know, people in the room helping with the youth. So it's the adults. And, uh, the adults. And I know <laughs> the kids were, kids were cool with it. Oh, you mean we can, you know, go on our own journey and figure this out? Yes. It's okay if we <laughs> believe these different things? Yes. It's okay if we ask questions? Yes. And then the adult, well, which one do you believe? Which one do you think is right? And I'm like, that's not the point that... That's not the point of the whole thing is if I say that, then that just means all of y'all are wrong, you know, and I've done enough of that on the internet that my wife has banned me. You know, she's like, dude, stop on Facebook <laughs> with your arguments. <laughs> wow. Right. <laughs> yeah. She's, you know, and it's hard. It's hard to stop when you think you're right. And you're like, wait a minute, this is, this is a quest I have to go on. I have to go prove to everyone that, you know, this is, this is bogus. So. Mm. But yeah, William Lane Craig, he's he's one of the more intellectual debaters, and he, he's really mm-hmm. good. And what I found it very interesting about him and a few other authors, uh, like Peter Behe, that wrote really high-level scientific... He's a like a physicist. Uh, he wrote a defense of uh, Christianity against evolution. But the funny thing huh. is both of them, both of them, and many like them, accept science, accept old earth, accept, you know, uh, evolution, but they won't, they dance around it. They kind of cloak it in darkness and they don't say it clearly and plainly. Mm -hmm. But when you get right down to it, it's like, wait a minute, these guys are not young earth creationists. Uh, They still believe in God, but they believe in science. They, they accept 14 billion year old universe, 4 billion year old earth, the evolution of, of life on earth. And, and those things are huge. You talk about. Yeah. yeah William Lane Craig absolutely does. Like I yeah. remember watching one of his Q and A's uh, on YouTube and someone asked him about, it wasn't even about evolution. It was about like the, the design of the universe and whether or not we can believe in an outside the universe designer at all and he brought it back to evolution and he pointed to this book i wish i could remember the name of it um he pointed to this book that's written by i believe they're they're still considered anthropologists because they're studying like human ancestry through archaeology and he pointed out how in that book the authors point to at least 10 distinct points in human ancestry evolution that if they had not happened exactly as that how they had happened homo sapiens would not exist today and like yeah. those 10 points in evolution had to line up just perfectly. And he pointed to that as evidence for him that surely God must have had a hand in the evolutionary process. Like he absolutely believes in mm. the evolution of human ancestry. But you're absolutely right, which is so interesting that he doesn't make it like a focal point of no. what his project is. And in some ways, I wonder if he does that in part to reach people who do not believe that. Could be. I'm not sure. Could honestly. be hard to tell. Uh, yeah. I mean, you get you get rejected pretty quickly in local churches, mm-hmm. uh, evangelical fundamental churches, or in the media if you start talking about 
too much evolution or mm, yeah. accepting of science. And and I think they know it. They lose uh, supporters. I mean, even I mean that's the whole reason that uh, Michael Gunger. I don't know if you're familiar with the artist Michael oh, Gunger. Oh yeah, but that's the whole reason. Like he got controversed, controversed a couple yeah. years ago. Yeah, and, like it's nothing new. Even yeah, it's a new word. I'll take your new word. I'll accept <laughs> Thank it. You. He's he was controversed. Yeah. No, I'm a so I'm a on my journey. I'm a huge uh, science Mike and. Uh, oh, yeah. Michael Gunger and Rob Bell fan. Yeah. Um, I know all those guys. I follow them, you know, listen to their podcasts, read read their books, um, which means also that I'm a heretic in most of my circles. <laughs> yes. Join um, the rest of us over here. Yes, I know. The water's yeah, so. just fine. <laughs> and and it, that was never my goal. Like, once again, it was, it was never my goal. It was like, hey, I want to go be a heretic. It was, hey, I want to pursue truth. Mm. And look, these guys are... They're really digging deep into this stuff. I think um, yeah. Hugh Ross, you know, I followed that guy. He's he's great. But once again, he, he does not accept evolution. Or if he does, he does it privately mm. and he won't talk about it publicly. And mm. he has a guy on staff that, you know, he, he, he kind of, he just really is not very scientific about it. Mm. So mm. that's, that's disappointing to me. Um, someone like Hugh Ross, I really think should know better. He's a brilliant, <laughs> you know, really, he's a brilliant man and he's a brilliant scientist, but it's like, I don't mm. know if he's just afraid he's going to lose part of his listeners or what the deal is. I don't know that name. Is he like a, is he a scientist? He is. Yeah. Oh, he's a big time uh, Christian scientist. Yeah. He's, see, wow. I, I think I have a book by him over here somewhere, but yeah, I mean, in in terms of my journey, he's one of the original guys I started reading. He's probably a little old school for you guys. So that's probably why you haven't heard of him. My uh, <laughs> my first book I have here that I actually read in my journey was, and this is kind of funny. It's like one of those almost self published. Uh, oh, the foreword is by Hugh Ross. That's why his name was popping into my head. It's called A New Look. At an old earth. Ooh, this was a big deal, man. I was a young earth creationist, you know, in my 40s. I had three kids and trying to figure out what to teach them. Mm. And this guy is like, hey, it's like getting tapped on the shoulder and going, you know, you might want to, if you're pursuing truth, you might want to actually consider this. And I forget who gave it to mm. me or why, but it's a little, little paperback that just kind of says, doesn't tackle any huge topics other than just you know, there's lots of evidence out here. Mm-hmm. Kind of looks like the earth is really, really old. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Sounds pretty sounds pretty fishy to me. But So, bring, I'll I'll bring it back um after a brief tangent here. So, I I grew up my church in my like youth group days. I was taught essentially what they called the four pillars of biblical Christianity. Mm-hmm. And those were anthropology, being that man is sinful and wicked and in need of salvation. Christology, being that Jesus Christ is that salvation for us if we accept his blood on the cross. Trinity, that being the, the Godhead and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the fourth was inerrancy of scripture. Mm-hmm. And the inerrancy question, I feel like, further breaks down into the camps of like, where we can nuance the conversation very well into talking about inerrancy in that it, that scripture and the Bible are reliable for teaching and revealing to us spiritual truths 
about our souls, about our God, and about our lives. I think the other side of that inerrancy conversation becomes very uh, fundamentalist and very like white knuckle tight grip on like, well, it said mm-hmm. it in the Bible, so it has to be true. And I think, uh, is it is it fair to say, I would be curious to hear your views on this pops. Is it fair to say that the main conflict when it comes to like creationism versus evolution is essentially that a certain view of inerrancy of the Bible would basically it's it's basically forcing those people to interpret the Bible as a science tech textbook as reliable as the new data we're gathering like every day. Yes. Yeah, you're 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 exactly right. I didn't come with notes um and just before we got on, I just jotted down a couple of things, and that mm. that is one of them. And I love this. This whole concept of Ravel really fascinates me. And that's a thread that I wrote down. Inspiration and inerrancy were the two threads that, for me, I started pulling on and realizing these are, these are pivotal. These are huge, huge issues uh, that I have to deal mm. with. And, and I was happened to be in a systematic theology class going through Grudem's book, which is a monster. I don't know if you've uh, studied yes, that Wayne thing. Grudem. Yes, I have. Yeah, Wayne Grudem. Okay. And so, and he's I talking about- I think I stubbed my toe on a Wayne Grudem textbook <laughs> once, and I was like, oh. oh my, that thing is immovable. It's a beast. It's I mean, thicker I've used than it the to... Bible is, and it is. <laughs> a lot of people in my church yeah. treated it more like scripture than the yeah. Bible yeah, itself. Yeah, if you need to glue <laughs> something together, it's the one to stack on top right. of it, because it'll never move. So. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, but no, you're exactly right, um, and I think that's probably my strength when I come to this by temperament is just this kind of systematic thinking in terms of, wait a minute, this all should line up, and these things are not lining up. Mm, Something right. is amiss here, and and uh, so, yeah, inerrancy, um, my view of inerrancy changed, and my view of inspiration changed, not because I wanted it to. Because it had to, I had so much Mm. dissonance bouncing around in my head that I'm like, wait a minute, this is true about God and this is true about science, then Mm. they must, you know, meet in the middle somewhere. And it's just like this huge vibration of like, whoa, 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 wait, this is not working. And so I, I, I realized over time, it took me quite a while that like my view of inerrancy and inspiration was incorrect mm. do you do you changed. remember that uh that thought dawning on you was that a scary thought to you when it did arrive because for me like man i i felt like man if i let go of inerrancy i'm gonna lose everything then then i yeah. can't even be sure that like jesus of nazareth was a real human being or like then i can't be sure of anything that's happening in there yeah yeah no i think your approach is more normal i i would say i'm in the minority i'm i'm quite abnormal with all this i i love it all i'm not afraid of any of it i just Hmm. dive into whatever subject and go well i'm sure god's at the end of this because i'm pursuing truth and i just go for it that is that right there is like that reveals to me a a healthy theology of like inspiration of the bible or like even inerrancy in its most nuanced form is essentially that faith and that trust that like God is going to be at the end of this, regardless of like what path gets me there, uh, like through, mm. through the systematic worldviews, you know, like whatever, like it all points back to God. If you have yeah. you, the mind for it. Right. 
So, yeah. but I, I think what you expressed is, is very typical for most American uh, Christian churches today. They're, mm. they're deathly afraid of anyone coming in and saying, well, well let's talk about inerrancy. Um, maybe we need to rethink this. Like the slippery slope comes right out of the gate. Right of the way. So, well, totally. if you question Come that, slipping right in. Yo, <laughs> and you know, and and the thing is, it's I don't think it's a slippery slope, but honestly, it does lead you down a path. I mean, you talk mm. about ravel. Mm. I've got I've got threads all over the floor, man. I mean, there's no sweater <laughs> left. <laughs> That's funny. That's really no, it's, funny. It's fully deconstructed after 15 years, mm. and I'm focusing on reconstruction and mm. you know I, I i still have no doubt i've never once questioned whether there was a god mm. wow i have no beef with god but i've radically changed all my views of all of that but i i feel like i'm in good company i mean i, I was joking earlier uh on text with you uh you guys about i had used to be i had three facebook pages well that's because i had to go undercover with all my views and like i had Whoa. my normal yeah. facebook profile i had my my work facebook profile and then i had max truth quest oh, how's that for a name wow what a pseudonym right there oh and man i was out there just exploring all this and now you was know the max me- short for maximum <laughs> Oh yeah, Max, that's funny. Maximum truth questions. That's amazing. Yeah, so, I have a question. Yeah. When you, uh, th- maybe this is a good question for you both. When you were first exploring the nature and the relationship of science and religion, did you feel like there was ever a point where you were like taking in scientific information and you tried to superimpose that onto the biblical text, like where you oh, like went word. to the Bible and you're like, oh yeah, yes. see, it's in here. Yes. Oh, yeah. Do you feel like you ever tried to justify it that way? Totally. Yes. Totally. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I And it's so funny because I, I still, I had to save all this stuff. I have all these artifacts. I have a, a rolled up scroll of like poster board size butcher paper where I did it. I'm Jeez. really big into timelines. I love totally. timelines and stuff. I had all this timeline of the Bible and the Genesis, and then I was superimposing science and, you know, of course, I hit the wall pretty quickly. There's some mm. pretty big conflicts. And I was just very confident. And, and so I just rolled it up and kept it under the bed in the office. And I'd pull it out and I'd read a new book. And I, you know, so, yeah, I'm very familiar with that. And, that, and that's what I tried to do. And, and also, I was super judgmental and super, I was like a lawyer. I remember my, my wife's brother, who was a high school science teacher, and I would just, pound on him and just <laughs> nail him in the corner on Thanksgiving day. Mm. you like that jerk. And just, I have a, a, a handwritten thing that I gave him and I'm glad I have it. Cause I, I forget that I was this way. And I just ask him these questions like a lawyer. I'm like, do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in this? Do you believe just all the classic, you know, mm-hmm. structural mm-hmm. questions of the Christian faith. And to me, it was as simple as yes or no, fill in the blank. Thank you very much. I'm done. Mic drop. You know, like, hey, wow, you're out of line, Mister Evolution over there. Wow. And uh, now I have to come back and eat all my words, and, I, and I'm glad I have it in paper because it's like, dude, you are a real jerk. You know, you're really judgmental, mm. and and now I have the least amount of patience for people just like that, just like I was. Mm. Wow. So, right. 
What's so interesting to me about the reading into the text is that, A, I don't think a lot of people who are doing that feel like they're doing that. They, I think a lot of people who are doing it feel like it's a justification. Like, I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head. Um, and, of, of course, I can't think of anything. Uh, the, maybe the classic example is, you know that protein that was discovered? That's like some DNA protein that looks, that like, like, a cross. looks sort yes, of like a cross. Right. Oh, yeah. I've heard so many pastors talk about that. <laughs> it's like, see, it was in the plan the whole time. Like, oh, man. Like, there's, there's nowhere in the Bible that, like, predicted that. But right, right. Um, that's a great example of what William Lane Craig even it. He's not the only one who defines this, but it's the that type of hermeneutic is called concordism. Mm-hmm. And he's really outspoken about that and like about that not being OK. <laughs> and that that is not a good way to have the relationship between science and religion. And like if literally one of the leading apologists of Christianity, even if he's kind of considered conservative by some measures, if he's really outspoken about that. Like, that should be taken seriously. Like, no right. one in Christianity should dispute that. Yeah, like, if, if, we're not, if we're not allowed to try and read science into the Bible, like, we should stop trying to read Bible into science, too. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. what do you mean by that? Well, it, it's just the flip, right? So, like, when, mm. when I uh, am feeling like my beliefs in, in the Bible are threatened by science, you know, like, I'm looking for any potential explanation as to why the sun may have seemed to stand still in the battle with Joshua. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Or, um, man, I watched this garbage documentary when I was in middle school about how like three planets and a couple stars would have lined up to make the star of Bethlehem. And and, like, Mm. he had like basically just figured out how to like map the stars backwards in time until the exact day when, uh, (laughs) <laughs> when the star would have appeared oh, yeah. and all that, like I saw that. So there's the move of like trying to make the Bible, the science textbook. And on the other side of that, it's like, okay, well, if it's not that, and I'm going to trust science a little more, I'm going to try and map science onto the Bible just to give me another level of comfort. Like, okay, like my inerrant mm-hmm. Bible isn't all that threatened after all, you know? Well, and that's why I can kind of see the value of believing in science and religion don't overlap at all. Hmm. And I think that that can be helpful for some people to think about, but I'm also not convinced because like, like you look at someone like Francis Collins, the director of the national, it's thank you. And like writing, have you guys, have you guys read his book, the language of God? Yes. Oh Oh, nice. Okay, cool. I don't even have to tell you about it then. Please do though. Well, I mean, if anyone is interested, like Francis Collins wrote the book, the language of God, and he basically documents how him leading the human genome project led him to becoming a Christian, which is really <laughs> fascinating. But <Yeah. laughs> like to me, that. that is the overlap between science and religion. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It should be. What do you I guys, agree. what do you guys make of the label of theistic evolution? Basically I've heard it. I've heard it at the description of like, yes, evolution by natural selection happened. And it was like God's hand on the wheel the whole time essentially yeah that so that's why i try to stay away from labels because uh, <laughs> they they rarely fit or accurately describe it i right. i would say i could be called a theistic evolutionist or at one point uh once i accepted you know i was still a christian and i accepted science mm-hmm. and evolution and then all of a sudden that label fit me uh i don't 
I don't know that it fits me anymore. I'm definitely not in the intelligent design camp. Um, I'm not. Oh, in the, mm, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I'm mm. not in the you know creation science camp with answers yeah. in Genesis or all that. That's that's long in the rearview mirror. Mm. Um, but but yeah, I think theistic evolutionist is about as close as you can come for people from the outside that are not that familiar with our world. Yeah, right. Because I accept both, right? And some people divide that and go, well, I mean, here's what makes me sad. I, I have really good close friends and family, and, and this number is growing, that just chuck it all. And they, they're taught mm. that it's like a toggle switch. Like, you either accept science or you accept faith. And it's sad to me. We're losing people in droves over this issue. Wow. And, and I guess that's the, the fire in my belly of like, because people are like, I don't care about this. Why do you care so much? Why is this so important to you? Why do you argue with people on Facebook all the time? Why are you always... Re I'm like, do you know how many people are leaving the church over this? I, this mm. is an important issue we need to deal with in a productive manner. I, I have really close friends and family that were worship leaders, leaders in church. They know their theology, okay? And they're mm. taught, if evolution is true, then everything else is wrong. And they just... Flip the switch, they chuck it all, and they never come back. Yeah, and right. I'm I'm still really close friends with people like that that I love and respect, and I have a good relationship, so we can talk, and I accept them in their atheism. But it's mm. sad to me, like it's sad to me that mm. that that's the only two alternatives yeah. that they think they have. Like it didn't have to be this way. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely presented as an all or nothing. I think a lot of the time. Wow, which is unfortunate because, like, with the example of theistic evolution. I like that example, Stephen, because like, I think personally I can identify as a theist. Like I think God exists and I can be on board with accepting evolution from a scientific standpoint. But I think the qualification theistic evolution to me communicates something different that I don't necessarily think I'm on board with. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I'm on board. God had God's hands on the wheel of evolution. Like, I don't, right. I don't freaking know. Like, nope. I don't think I can just like say that, e like, even though I think that sounds good as like a faith concept, maybe, mm. but like, I have no idea, like if God somehow controlled the mechanisms of evolution and life developing, or if God simply set it in motion, like, I, I have no idea. I, I don't think that that should be an issue personally, man. I'm with you on that. I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Mm. I, I, I don't, I'll just go so far to say is. I don't think it works at all to think God <laughs> was directing every every move of evolution. And Alex and I have talked about this a lot. I mean, because there's a lot of violence and pain and suffering in the whole evolutionary process. And you really oh, have to totally. start ascribing yeah. God's intent into yeah. that. And, and some form of morality has to be mapped on top of that, right? Oh, it just gets so messy. I I actually wrote out a manifesto. I'll send you guys after the podcast. I but love that. I was just looking at that. It's well. It's like how do I put this all down in something that captures it? And I basically say that I I think I think God had one creative thought, and everything else came about. I don't think he had to. Honestly, I don't think he's so weak that he has to come back and monkey with it. 
and go, oh, wow. you know what I forgot about? Darn it. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Monkey. <laughs> well, you know what's so interesting is like, I don't see how any of that is in contrast to the Genesis narrative. Like not even right. like the liter- like literal versus non-literal. Like right. literally all of that is so in line with the idea of God first created and then life took it from there and messed it up. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and like, I think so. like there was like a fall and like now life is suffering like that perfectly describes the processes of evolution. Yeah, it does. And I don't I don't understand why Christians get upset about that sometimes. Like I, it's not hard for me to see that the narratives are very, very similar, even though I think that they are saying separate things. Like I do think the Bible is primarily concerned with something spiritual and faith driven and evolution and the study of it is mostly concerned with something scientific and yeah tactical yeah it's true we're gonna take a quick break to say a few thank yous then we'll be back to our conversation thank you to our generous patrons for sponsoring this episode of the podcast y'all are such a huge encouragement to us if you'd like to support future episodes of ravel visit patreon.com slash ravelpod or by tapping the link in the show notes Thank you to everyone who is giving five-star ratings and thoughtful reviews on Apple Podcasts, and to everyone who contributes to our weekly discussions at RavelPod on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, much love to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color. And thank you to the Highline Media Network for having us as one of their founding podcasts. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, The Whiskey Bench. Maybe the shift was, at the founding of America, people had a good sense of self. They knew who they were. And so they came to America to be the fullest version of who they knew they were, because they had the freedom to do that. And now we're in a society where you can become anything you want, and people don't know who they are. Wow. So they can't express, they can't express the fullness of who they are. Because they haven't, they don't know. They what don't it is. know what that is. Hmm. And now back to the conversation. I remember in middle school, I was homeschooled, going to like co-ops and stuff, and I remember having conversations about like trying to parse what we called like macro evolution versus micro mm-hmm. evolution, right? And every, uh, like I felt. Like a lot of people were really excited about like, oh yeah, microevolution obviously happens. Just look at how many like different species of moths we have, you know? Um, right. And basically it took one person pointing out, they were like, yeah, now give it a long enough time horizon. <laughs> yeah. Mm. No, you're right. I did this exact same thing. And, and that was, that was me. I was just like, wait, oh yeah, I guess you're right. Like microevolution. Yeah. Cause I, I'm thinking in terms of microevolution, even the the idea of like god directing evolution and somehow man that question of god's morality through that is huge because like think oh. think of the 99 variations that died off immediately just so that the one we recognize today is like modern alligator or something you know like the, the modern species of of anything we see in in nature today is one of hundreds thousands maybe millions of of different potentials that we could have had, you know, and so like if if God is there, man, 
does it map? <laughs> it's so funny that you use that example because you immediately invoked the whole, it's better to go find the one. Yeah. Then to, like, <laughs> well, it's better to leave the 99 to save the one. And that is like in complete contrast to, which I guess maybe in fairness, this is in contrast to the process of evolution that the, the whole idea of natural selection is we leave behind the 91, the 99 to have the one. Right. That yeah. Yeah. continues living. Because unfortunately, my brain went the opposite direction. And now, like, now I see the ties or the threads to, like, here are the select, um, like, elected saints, and here's all the rest damned to hell, you know? Because it's like, right. Because <laughs> we're just like sorting out, right? Natural selection just sorts us out. Yeah. So that morality. My my brain will always leap back to theologies of hell just because that's where my deconstruction yeah. journey started. So that that idea of God like hand picking every species that we see today through the process of evolution and what we call like theistic evolution, right? Yeah. You're exactly right. Wow, it, that's wild. If it implies that God is not only okay with massive amounts of pain and suffering, mm-hmm. but that he actually ordained it and caused it. And I just, mm. I don't believe it. I, I think he takes probably pleasure, obviously, in watching the universe unfold and all these various different forms of life. I mean, and we're so focused on our planet, for crying out loud, there's 100 billion <laughs> galaxies with 100 billion planets each. Right. I'm pretty sure there's life out there, and, yeah. and he's just as concerned about. So we're so self-focused, but it's like God has got to be okay with it all, the the mm. whole process of life and death. And and I I mean, I think I love space as much as I love biology. And you look out in space and go, the same thing is happening in space. The nebulas form and then the stars come out of that and then they Mm -hmm. live their life and they die and they explode and they throw off all the heavy elements and that becomes a new generation. He's showing from day one of the universe that he's okay with life and death and pain and suffering. And now, this gets back to a big part of like your podcast of like ravel of, okay, this unravels your theology, right? Because if God created everything like we were all taught, you know, in, in elementary school, our whole theology is blown up when we realize there was no, there was tons of pain and suffering before the quote, you know, Genesis fall. And those are the Mm. kind of things I start focusing on later on in my journey, like, okay, what do we do with all this? Well, how do we deal with inspiration? How do we deal with inerrancy? And what do we do with the flood story? What do we do with the fall story? And probably my most kind of crazy thought that I, I lay on people they haven't thought about is I actually view the fall story exactly opposite of the literal interpretation. I think that we were basically animals before the fall, and then we became enlightened, just like the Bible says. But it, it was the opposite of, oh, there was this perfect, you know, blonde Adam and Eve with perfect bodies running around naked, and then they became this fallen, you know, downtrodden people that were like cave people. No, I mean, it was like we were cave people, and then we evolved consciousness, and then we yes. became aware of God and we became aware that we were aware unlike any other animal. Yeah. Oh. And it's like that if you just sit around and think about that for a while it'll just blow your mind and like wait a minute what are the implications for my theology 
what other threads does that start tying into? And 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 that's that's kind of where I'm at. That that's where I love to sit. And I would love to have these conversations with people, but there's just so few people that care or are willing or or are secure enough to sit around and have that conversation and go, yeah, you know, let's talk about that. What does that mean? I wish we could have that conversation in the church, but it just seems mm. it seems we can't. Mm. You know, I just had a light bulb go off just now. And I don't know if I've ever thought about this before. I think that there are two groups of people sometimes that look at comparing God and evolution and say, oh, no, of course, God could not have done this because this is an imperfect creation. And then those two groups of people, one of them therefore rejects evolution and one of them therefore rejects God. And I think people are using the same logic sometimes looking Whoa. at this relationship. Wow. And it it points people two different directions yes. often. And but I agree. but they're using like this logic of well it's imperfect so therefore blank. And either they take that to mean God didn't create it this way and therefore God doesn't exist or God could not have been using this because this is an imperfect system therefore that process is not it. Mm. Right. I think you're right 100%. Wow. I'm just like never thought about that before, but I've totally seen that both sides. Pops, I love your take on Adam and Eve, the evolution of consciousness. And like we went from the just base animal instinctual level to like the story of gaining the knowledge of good and evil is like mankind realizing what they are and being able to like gaze back at themselves. Yes. In a partner or even in their own reflection, you know? and recognize that there was something behind the eyes. And like, I've heard uh, people interpret, you know, that knowledge of good and evil, like the reason the shame of nakedness came with taking the fruit was I recognize that I am so similar to the naked man or naked woman next to me. Mm -hmm. And in my own nakedness, I, I feel the vulnerability like the threat to my own life or the threat to my own safety, security, comfort. And if I know what makes me vulnerable and you are so similar to me in your own nakedness, now I know what makes you vulnerable and there's evil. Like, yeah, because there yeah, I, you I can agree. figure out how to exploit that for your own use. And that's the knowledge yeah. of good and evil is like, is knowing that but, but there's so much of a similar, like divine spark or, you know, image of God, Imago Dei, or, or just consciousness itself, maybe that is the image of God, but it is like, I see that in you and I know what makes me vulnerable. Therefore, I know what makes you vulnerable. Therefore, like now we have morality because I, now I get to make a choice about whether I'm going to bash you over the head with a rock while your back is turned. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. I, I think that's such an important thing to think about and talk about. And if I ever write my book or finish my book i have like you know writings and oh. underneath the bed with the scroll of a timeline you know right i have these weird chapter titles and one of them is like um why lions don't go to jail well <laughs> i mean okay. no one ever sits around and talks about the morality of whether a lion should kill an antelope wow. and eat it. right we watch it on tv of course that's what they do that's funny why is that not murder yeah. Why? Why is he? Why is he not getting pulled over by the cops and taken to the judge? Hey, look, this guy murdered a 
this guy out in the field. Right. We have to think about these things and go, well, what's it's nature. It's not murder. It's nature. That's what mm. that's what lions do to antelope, you know? And then I think the other thing is we don't want to look at our own impact on the planet and other animals. Look at, I mean, look at what we do as humans and how we relate to other life on the planet. I, there's other evolved life I think has consciousness or approaching consciousness and we're going to have to deal with it. I mean, look at uh, the bonobos and the chimps, the d- mm, dolphins, right. the elephants. Octopus. I mean, octopus. I mean, for crying out loud, the, these things are highly evolved social creatures that show emotion. Dogs, can, you know, come on. You, you can't tell me a dog doesn't have emotions and know when they're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's like we we just put them in a separate category, put a lid on it, and move on. Okay, well. We just own them. They're animals. They don't have rights. I'm not, I'm not a big activist or anything, but all these thoughts have pushed me to rethink not only theology, but now my like ecology and sustainability and my impact on the planet. And what are we mm. doing here? You know, how do we relate to other life on Earth? So it's pretty, it's pretty expansive uh, when you start going down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many places. Big thread to pull on. Right. Hey, one thing I would like to return to is uh, inspiration and inerrancy. One thing mm. that um, I found comfort uh, in, back in my three Facebook page uh, days. <laughs> the Trinity, if you will. The Trinity, the Trinity of Facebook of profiles. Facebook, which I have let go. I, I don't. <laughs> all, you know, are, I don't. <laughs> all are one, but all, each are separate. Right. Yes. <laughs> that could be a whole nother podcast. <laughs> But I started finding such great frustration and blockage. Mm. I'm trying to talk to my pastor and friends at church and relatives and, you know, bring it up. And and it just didn't work, created so much conflict. And then I'm debating people on Facebook. That's not working. My wife's like, you got to stop. And so then some wise person, I forget who it was, said, you know, you really need to go find your tribe and like stop trying to mm. expect other people. So my point is, I just kind of stopped doing all that. And I had reached out to all these other tribe members of where I'm, where I'm at. And uh, people like famous authors, Francis Collins, Michael Gunger, Science Mike, uh, Rob Bell, and then uh, another guy named Michael Dowd that he wrote a book called Thank God for Evolution. So I'd go to the, the bookstore and I'd come down the religion section. And then I would come down the science section. And then there's like three books in the middle where they meet. And I'm like, ah, oh, okay. I'm, I would read those. It's very small slice of, of world. And so I just, I probably read like 80 books over that, you know, 14 year quest. And I, I started identifying with certain people that I, I thought had credibility. And I started realizing people like C.S. Lewis, I can believe like him. And I can be a heretic like him, and he believes in partial inerrancy. So I guess mm-hmm. it's okay if I do too. And I learned that in my systematic theology yeah, class. Right. I was like, "Wow, oh, okay." I, I I I started reconciling it and going from being undercover with all this to being like, you know what? Yeah. If it's okay for Billy Graham and C.S. Lewis, then it's okay for me. Wow. Yeah. I love <laughs> to point out that C.S. Lewis, by the end of his life, was a Christian universalist. That's, yeah, that's my favorite thing to get under. Wait, was did Billy Graham not believe in inerrancy explicitly? I've never heard he, that. I wouldn't comment on his 
inerrancy camp, but he accepted evolution and he commented mm. on it publicly. I have quotes by him. Mm. And uh, he was just much more of an open-minded guy than you would think. And uh, there's several, mm. several major Christian leaders that we just, we don't realize where they fit on this continuum. And everyone just claims them in their camp. They're always trying to claim them. Oh, yeah. Well, right, you know. right. It's like, no, that's not exactly correct. Yeah. Um, and so that's when I started being more okay with my changing theology, my changing view of inerrancy and inspiration. And then there's weird little one-liner quotes like Rob Bell. Everything we have in the Bible came through man. Okay. Yeah, mm. right. That seems really simple, but that is profound. We have zero written words by Jesus. We have zero written words by yeah. God because God doesn't have, you know, literal hands and feet. Like mm. everything we have and every other religion on earth all came through a man. I mean, you almost need to sit and think about that for a week and just go, well, what are the implications of that? What does that mean? Right. Wow. You know, and then they all have to be interpreted. And it's like, and I know you guys, uh, you delve into some of that in this podcast. And, and that's the part that fascinates me is like, we just, we need to deal with this. We need to be more open to listening to other people that have experience in these areas and not be so mm. afraid and so married to our staunch, you know, well, nope, this is what I was taught as a child. I, I can't change or I'm going to go straight to hell. And, mm. Anyway, what I, do you think about, do you think that having that mindset of growth and spiritual journey, do you think that that is particularly a scientific mindset of faith? Like, as in like you're bringing in new information and adapting along the way, like we're always going to be learning more because that's the attitude of science, right? Like science is self-correcting. Do you think our faith should also be self-correcting? Yes, I do. I, I, I think. I think our faith would be much healthier if it was more like science and saying we are open to new discoveries, we're open to be proven wrong, and mm. we will adapt our theories based on new information. And I think it would be so much healthier if we held, the, held them more loosely like that instead of gripping so tightly and thinking we have the corner on the truth and being so deathly afraid of, that if we don't have 100% correct theology, we're going straight to a literal hell. I think that just drives a lot of people to hold white knuckle on and go, nope, nope, I can't, I can't even, I can't look at it. I can't have a conversation about mm -hmm. it, let alone, you know, I mean, these books I'm reading, I mean, my parents would have shuddered, uh, family members would have just thought I was off the deep end. And now I look at him and go, this is just God's truth being displayed throughout the universe. This is not anything to be afraid of. Yeah. Mm. Because otherwise it's, it's so easy. If, you, if you're not willing to flex in the wind a little bit, like any good tree, any tree that's alive is going to dance with the wind, right? If it's rigid, it's going to snap and yeah. fall over either that or like you make everything a threat and everything an enemy. Like, yeah. Man, don't don't dare <laughs> like he who must not be named is now Charles Darwin in the church because right. like, you can't, you know, like I remember a book on the shelf was uh, Darwin's Black Box. You familiar with yes. that one? 
Yes, that's by Behe. Right. Okay. So this, yeah, and the the argument was basically like you can't you can't go this way. Like this way leads death because somehow Darwin is now like mm. under the influence of some some forces that would want to lead us astray. You know, he's one of the authors I was quoting to you earlier that he accepts evolution. Mm. He was yeah, actually had to admit it in court because he was in one of those famous <laughs> wow. court cases by a school district where they were trying to require evolution. Wow. But he will never say it. Wait, was he on the Scopes Monkey Trial? Is that this guy? He wasn't on the Scopes Monkey Trial, but he's a modern day defender of Christian fundamentalism through mm. science. He's a scientist mm. and he's a good scientist. Mm. But. Uh, I just don't think he's completely intellectually honest. Michael Behe, yeah. And wow. I believe he's actually Catholic. Huh. Yeah. It was either that, it, it was either that is like Darwin is now the boogeyman that is like threatening to lead so many kids in our school astray. And like, I took that message very seriously in my young life. Like I went to public high school in a biology and chemistry class and took it upon myself to be like, the Christian kid, right? And fight my teachers oh, yeah. on it. And years later, I've I've literally gone back to those teachers and like visited them in their classrooms on an off period that I was able to figure out. And I just went back to them and I'm like, I'm sorry. I felt like this was important as a 14 year old <laughs> to fight yeah. you on. <laughs> right. No good yeah, for you. I did. I've done the same thing, except I haven't gone to apologize to my previous teachers. <laughs> well, I just I, felt I was the same person, especially though. my biology teacher. Like she and I like freshman through senior year had a really good relationship. Like I was in two of her classes and then I TA'd for her two years in a row. And mm. the whole time, like we got along just fine. I don't know how, because literally my job was like grading papers and helping like teach a class or two. And she knew that I was basically, uh, pretending, I don't know, teaching things I definitely didn't believe. Yeah. But so going back to her and just apologizing for that was really important. That and dinosaurs, man. The dinosaur argument was so confusing, like how, (laughs) I'm sorry, the way, like the way Satan ostensibly like planted fossils and, and Uh, dinosaur skeletons in the record uh, to like lead people astray. So painful. Wait, wait a minute. Does someone actually make this argument? I've, I've only heard that joked about. Really? It's legit. Yeah. <laughs> That's Look, bonkers. You, I've only ever heard people make fun of that. I totally thought that was just a joke. No, that's where you. That's what's so sad about all this wow. is where you. In, that's where you end up if you follow that path right. of reasoning, and right. you are so rigid. You have to actually convince yourself that well, you know, hey, I, I guess God put them there to test our faith, and that's more plausible um, than like listening to data-driven, well-balanced scientists say like. Yeah. No, it seems like we have a common ancestor in many, many things, you know? Wow. I think, what do you think that is threatening? Like, I don't know. I was just thinking that. Is it a sense of like specialness? Is like, no, we have the image of God. Like, we can't be related to bonobos. I mean, looking back, I don't know what I was threatened by. Right. Yeah. Me neither. You know, it's a worldview threatening. It's, Mm. I've really been studying this a lot. This is, very, very prevalent in our society at large and in our churches. It's mm. worldview. Mm. And even people like William, William Lane Craig and a lot of the other famous evangelists of that type of systematic theology are basically saying, look, 
you've got to protect your worldview because if you if you don't do this, you, you know, you don't know where it's going to go. And I think mm. that fear mm. is baked in of, well, if if science is true, you know, and evolution is true, then this other stuff is not true. And it's it's all linked up in this weird baggage of worldview. And we have to unlink it. And we're taught from children. That's the problem. We're taught literalism. And then we're linked, and we link it to our salvation and our future destiny. And it's a whole big package that's like, either you accept this whole package Mm. or you're on the other team, man. Mm. I mean, you're... It's really interesting to me where and how many, like, worldview defenders try to... the, The number of zigzags they have to make in the map, right, to, like... Yeah. draw a border between like this is okay to believe as a christian you know <laughs> amino acids are the building blocks of proteins or whatever mitochondria is the uh, powerhouse of the cell like mm-hmm. these are fine to know these are good but I, it's not even a blurry line like uh, I, I my uh, the term that's coming to mind is something like a uh, like an intellectual gerrymandering where we're just like drawing mm-hmm. wild lines across the map saying like, well, this can be included in this camp and like, we can still be a Christian and believe this, mm. but many, a few other things, you know, cause uh, don't belong in this worldview or can't, can't fit with something else we have in a liber- literal word in my NIV translated Bible, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I wow. think you're really onto something really important. Yeah, that whole that way you described it with the gerrymandering is I've never heard that before, but that that's a good description. It just came to me that that, that it feels right though, yeah. right? Because like you draw mm-hmm. some absolutely wild territories in our faith life to try and like set the set the boundaries in such a way that you can feel good about it. You know? Yeah, I feel like it yeah. all leads back to the Big Bang too. I've like, I don't, is that I is at that point, it feels like a logical fallacy at this time in my life to just be like, well, what did the big bang then? Right. (laughs) (laughs) And like, for Uh, me, that's pretty much where I'm like, and exactly at the moment of the big bang is where I'm willing to just completely give up to the mystery of God and say like, I, yes, I believe God was there. You know, me too. Wow. Me too, man. Wow. Yeah, I think there's only, I think there's really only two things that that science hasn't discovered yet. One is, where did the universe come from? What happened before the Big Bang? Mm -hmm. I don't think they'll ever discover it. I mean, that gets into philosophy, but not true hard science. And then the beginning of life. And I, you know, they're they're down to (laughs) pretty early forms of life. But trying to figure out where the original DNA code came from and how it replicated and, mm. you know, I, I don't mm. know that we're ever going to figure that out. But to me, I can accept that and go, okay, science probably will never figure those two origins out. And guess what, everybody? They, they're not claiming to. And that's the <laughs> problem is there's a lot of really good scientists that are really bad theologians or philosophers. Mm, wow. That cross over in from science to, to that and go, and therefore there is no God or, you know, and people in the Christian world kind of point to that and they throw the baby out with the bathwater and go, well, clearly we can't read anything by Richard Dawkins because he's a stark raving 
atheist. Well, I've got a book right here. Mm. That's a really good science book. He's a pretty good scientist if he would just stick to his field. It's called The Greatest Show on Earth. You look through it and you go, yep, mm-hmm. There's nothing in there that is anti-religion. It's all about science. And you go, I, I, it makes sense to me. But I think the problem is there's... Wait, that's Dawkins? Dawkins. Nice. Dawkins invented memes. Did you know that? It's true. I know. Memology. I love that. And I hate it too because <laughs> like he's, he's, just, he's just such an angry atheist. And he's such a good scientist. Mm. But I, I don't know what you guys think. But I, I think he's a... I think he's a crappy philosopher. I mean, although fan theory, he's doing it to prove a point about the spread of ideas. Like, that is such a real thing. Fan theory. I love Yeah, this. it's a very real thing. Yeah. Huh. I like that you brought it back to philosophy, too, because I think that that's a great point that I think there's plenty of scientists and plenty of religious people that are crappy philosophers. And, like, yeah. philosophy, good philosophy underpins everything. Like, at a certain point, yeah. science can't reach it. And at a certain point, religion can't reach it. Reach it. We have to be good philosophers, mm. also. Yeah. Wow. Like right. we don't have to know a lot. We don't have to like have read Plato, but we have to know how to reason. And I think that that's what I can really appreciate about people like William Lane Craig, who at heart are apologists, and they are like trying to defend Christianity in a in a way that I'm I'm not resonating with currently. But I have to give it to them. They just come back to reason every single time. Like, is this reasonable? Can we support this? Is this evidence-based? And mm. I can really appreciate that. Yeah, me too. Hey, one thing, I'm, gl I'm glad you brought up uh, Darwin, because, you know, I was, like you, deathly afraid of Darwin. He was the name that could not be talked about. Or, right. Uh, and like so, the Lord Voldemort of the church. Oh, <laughs> the worst of the worst. And knowing the truth about him is so freeing. Honestly, I, I watched a movie about him. I have books on him. I mm. have the audacity to go out and buy a paperback copy of The Origin of Species by Charles Darwin. I mean, Ooh. come on. I mean, let's just read it. Has anyone ever read it? I mean, come on. So I personally have. I'll, I'll take that Scout's badge proudly. There you go. It's hard to read. It's old, old English. It totally is, yes. It's old English. But the guy... He never set out to do all this evil stuff that everyone accuses him of. He was going to be a, a pastor. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was going to church. Uh, there's a really great movie showing the conflict in his life and how it impacted, you know, his marriage. And he was going to church. And and, and I love this quote on, on the last page of his book. You probably heard of it before, but I read it to you. Page 400. There is grandeur in this view of life with its several powers having been originally breathed into a few forms, or into one, and that, whilst the planet has gone cycling on, according to the fixed law of gravity, from so simple a beginning, endless forms, most beautiful and most wonderful, have been and are being evolved. That guy, I mean, he clearly believed in God, creating mm. all this, and he was going to be a pastor. He goes on this voyage. I had the unbelievable benefit of being able to go to Ecuador just this past April and go Whoa. visit the Galapagos Islands. Whoa. And yeah, you go there and you're like, he was a 23-year-old man that didn't know what to do with his life. He, you know, his dad was like, go get yourself straightened out and go do some surveying. Mm. And he discovered all these fossils and all these things around the world for five years. And he just came back. He really, 
he wasn't a stark raving, stark raving atheist. He he just observed some things that God left on the planet mm. and started thinking about them. Mm. And he thought about them for a really long time and did some experiments and said, you know, I think there's something here, guys, we should look at. I'm tripping over fossils, ancient animals that aren't here anymore, and dinosaurs, and I'm seeing all these patterns. There's nothing controversial in here. I mean, it's just... Mm observation of what God left in nature. And yet, he's branded as this just evil, anti-God person. Now, I would have to admit, at the end of his life, he did a little deconstructing, and he kind of walked out of church and said, hey, I don't feel welcome here anymore. But that's what we're all doing today. And, and we, it continues on. This battle continues on. And I think it's just completely unnecessary. It's unhelpful. And I'm I'm fearful for future generations of the church, and I, and I always, in, in my best world, ended every Facebook argument with that, because they're like, why do you care so much? about?" I said, I care because this is important. This is important for the future of the church. You are losing these young people in droves, mm. and, and they need answers, and, and they can't even talk about this stuff in church, and I'm, I'm tired of it, so... Mm. That's why I'm, I get fired up. I get so passionate about but it. But Pops, the answers are in Genesis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Sorry, if there's I had one to. person I, had I would to. like to... St- oh, you did. If there's one person I'd like to strangle on this planet, it's Ken Ham. <laughs> I would, if I, 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 don't, I think if I met him in person, I would just go straight for the throat. Oh, my gosh. Because I think he knows what he's doing. After a paid tour yeah. of his arc and the Tower of Babel coming soon. Um. <sighs> I love that. Man, I love that. That hurts me so much. (laughs) I think Alex and I ought to take a trip out there and double team him and just take him out. I mean, he just, he knows what he's doing and it's a money scam. Yeah. But if Bill Nye, the science guy, can't do it on a, uh, on a debate, I, I told the, uh, I know I told the Ravel, (laughs) the listenership that I actually watched that debate live with my youth, uh, leader. When it happened, because no. he was really, really interested to watch it. And I, I remember feeling very um, confused by the end of it. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. We, we, we turned off the projector and everyone was like, wow, Ken Ham did so good. And I, like, I felt like the one, I, I didn't say anything afterward as everyone was debriefing. I'm like, yeah, but like, you heard the other guy, right? <laughs> I was very confused. I'm very confused. Yeah. Like he made oh. some good points though. Um, yeah. But even then uh, that, that comes back to like, I didn't say anything and I didn't say anything for years. And it was easy for me to just like stuff that down and forget about it. Cause it, at the time it was very threatening to like my community. Right. Like I would have felt like yeah. I was like completely betraying my people that I've been growing up with for years and years. So Sure. It's part and, of your whole culture, your whole yeah. world, yeah, your world view. Which is certainly certainly the fear of it too, like when you consider the question of science and religion and faith is like, uh, but I have my in-group here. You know, like you described like somebody wisely telling you like, it might be time for you to seek out a different tribe because you're not yeah. being served or you're not serving in this one anymore. Yeah, and I don't know about you guys, but I, I have found it very difficult in searching for other churches that have a correct theology and a correct view of science. Um, it's fairly mm. rare. Mm. Yeah. 
I don't know your experience, but that that's been mine. Mm-hmm. It is hard, absolutely. Well, wow, well, gentlemen, thank you so much for this. Josh, do you have any final thoughts before we go? I don't think so. I I think I'm just kind of mulling over these thoughts again as we're talking about science and religion. I mean, I think that I'm kind of similar to you, Pops, that my like spiritual discovery journey started with thinking about science and religion. And I also relate to, I just can't quite put it back up on the shelf. I just like keep thinking about it as time goes on. And mm-hmm. good. in a lot of ways, I think it's fitting for science and I think it's fitting for faith. Hmm. So I appreciate talking about this today. This was good for me too. Any final thoughts for you, Pop? I, I'm, I'm fresh out. Fresh out. I, I have enjoyed it very much. Um, I appreciate being on, and I love talking about this. I could talk about it, go on and on and on. Um, We've covered kind of the high points, and um, I just encourage any listeners, you know, that are interested in this thing, keep listening, check out the other podcasts, contact one of us to have continued conversation. Mm. But there's, I guess I want to get out that there's tons of resources, and I wish someone would have told younger me this. Because I, I was locked up and I didn't know where to go. I had no resources. Everyone's telling me, go to Ken Ham. Answers in Genesis. And I'm like, no, that's the problem. <laughs> but I have found a, a huge treasure trove of really intellectual resources. And and what's cool, too, I'm back. I know I keep talking about Facebook because I'm, I'm a boomer. I know you guys are all on Instagram. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> I, I've literally made Facebook friends with all these authors and speakers, and now that I'm like a, it's like that's what I do for fun is I go to conferences and seminars and have them sign the book and talk to them and take a picture with them. I'm like, I'm like this, you know, roadie guy. And, but I've got, you know, people like um, Francis Collins, his book, and, and the guy that wrote that book with him. Uh, Carl Guyberson is a Facebook friend of mine. He's a professor at a, he was at a Christian school until he argued this topic and got kicked out. Mm, Right. Mm. But just a whole new, not only tribe, but leadership in the church that say, no, there's hope. There's another way. You just have an access to yeah. Another guy, I don't know if you're familiar with this guy, um, Pete Inns. Have you heard of him? Bible for normal people. Yes. Yes. Pete Inns. Yeah. He... I found him somehow, some way on my journey, and he's a breath of fresh air. I got to meet him uh, at at a conference out in California and sat at a table and ate tacos and just talked to him. Just what a, such a great guy. And, but his books are on Old Testament theology. He, he, he's a brilliant Old Testament theologian and his perspective on things just, really helped solidify that I was on the right path of pursuing truth, you know, and not abandoning uh, my faith. And so I think people like that are really important in our story. Mm. Yeah. Agreed. I love that. Well, um, some quick announcements here at the end. Uh, First, we should say pops, people can find you over at the into podcast, both on Instagram and Twitter and listen to the into podcast to hear more of pops voice. Go listen to the poop stories episode. Oh, the poop oh stories. my gosh. I've never laughed so hard. Oh my gosh. I <laughs> did not expect my parents' car to be involved in a story. <laughs> that was so weird to hear my name come up 
wasn't it? Where you were like, I remember that car. I do remember That's the car. So That's gross. the thing. <laughs> oh, our biggest struggle was like, should we tell them? Should we not? You know, we have to tell them. You know, wow, a oh. harrowing journey for sure. Yeah, so great. So people can find you over on Into. Um, I guess Josh, some announcements. Uh, I wanted to remind people that we are now part of the. Uh, the podcast resources over on the Our Bible app. Yeah. The, kind of the uh, the Bible app created by and created for uh, deconstructing or progressively identifying Christians. Um, that app, I was just exploring it earlier. This week is jam-packed with like a ton of fantastic podcasts, of which it is very much an honor to be on the list, and a lot of great resources, like articles and community groups available for people, like very cool. The Our Bible app. The other thing is that we are uh, are still pushing toward our goal of 20 Patreon supporters to open up a bonus episode and a Bible study monthly event that'll happen in the Ravel Discord. So we'll we'll have a Bible study, and as long as people are comfortable with the idea of recording some of it, that'll become like a private bonus episode for other patrons to listen to if they're not able to attend the Bible study live. So if you're interested in that, that is uh, patreon.com slash Ravelpod. The other thing we're doing, as long as we're doing these guest hosts on the show, is that if the guest is uh, willing and available, they'll be hopping in on the Ravel Discord server the week their episode goes out to come and discuss with the group along with us. So that's the other part. Well, so Pops, we normally end with Emily giving us a benediction. Um, would you, did you possibly have any, like, any quote you'd like to end us on or a toast? Raise the last of our, <laughs> our beverages. I, I will do that. I will do it impromptu because I don't have anything written down. Um, oh, fantastic. Alex and I are big fans of Rob Bell. So when we talk and text, we often end with... May you find the peace that comes only from pursuing God in all truth and all sincerity. Grace and peace. Welcome to the Whiskey Bench, where every week we discuss our modern world over a fresh cocktail. We start with three ounces of a favorite philosopher. Take your pick of Hobbes, Locke, or Rousseau. Next, we pour in a shot of modern discourse like Second Amendment policy or renewable energy. Sweeten with a dash of lighthearted conversation about salsa cereal or the private space industry. Shake with ice and strain with ideas about modern art or raw milk regulation. Garnish with intellectual humility and moderate optimism. Cheers. Highline Media Network. Normal people in normal places.